everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind for episode 115 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. I'm really happy to be joined by Yuri from Onfolio. Yuri, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Awesome, Yuri. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, just an, an intro about who you are and what you're working on right now? Sure. So um, right now I'm head of strategy and acquisitions for Unfolio. Um, my background is, my professional background is uh, mostly in digital marketing, SEO and e-commerce. Uh, I'm a lawyer by profession, but I've never actually practiced. I kind of jumped straight into digital marketing after uh, law school. Right. So you, you skipped the boring part. So what, what happened? So you graduated from law school and then what happened? How did you get into digital marketing? It's actually kind of a funny story. So I used to sell counterfeit watches online and other products, which I don't recommend because obviously completely legal. Um, so I started that when I was about 15 or 16 years old and I started selling them on eBay. And then from what I was told, eBay got sued because of me. And so they kicked me off their platform and I built a website so I could sell them on my website. And I kind of just had to learn digital marketing back in the early days. I think I remember the first pay-per-click search engine I was using was called like Overture and I had to learn SEO. So then I just started selling it on my own website until I got sued in like a joint lawsuit by 12 different companies. Um, so that was fun because I was actually like on my way to take an exam in school and I had like the sheriff knocking on my door with the lawyers to like seize all the inventory. <laughs> yeah, that's that's quite another I guess, uh, something hanging over your head when trying to write an exam. Was that during law school or before it? That was before law school. Um, so I was, I was doing my bachelor's in business. And actually, when I was doing that, my sister was in law school. And that seemed more interesting than what I was studying. So I'm like, hey, I'll go to law school, you know, just in case I need to defend myself in the future. I'll have a law degree. Um, but I've always like, you know, I've always been building websites on the side. And actually, so... When I was in law school, I had built a couple um, like content related websites uh, around different legal topics. So I built one uh, called LemonCarLaws.com at the time, which is just different laws about uh, automobiles. And I also built one of the largest like legal help forums uh, that used to exist. It was called um, LegalHelp.org. And I also had one, um, I think, oh, I can't remember the domain. And so what happened was after law school, I ended up selling all those websites to LexisNexis because they were mm -hmm. using it for like in their SEO department for backlinks to to their lawyers. Right. Very cool. And so then how did you decide that you didn't want to practice at all? Uh, so like shortly after graduating law school, basically that's when the entire market collapsed in New York and all the attorneys got like laid off. So, you know, there was just no opportunities available. And, you know, I was still living with my parents at the time. And I'm like, I need a job. I need to get out of here. And so I had all the skill set from digital marketing. And that was like very much in demand. And nobody was hiring lawyers anymore. So it seemed like an easy transition at the time. Mm, very, very interesting. And, and so what did you end up doing? What was the first one or two gigs? So the first one is actually I ended up going to LexisNexis to work in their SEO department after law school. And then from there, my supervisor went to another company at the time was called PM Digital, which got acquired a couple times after that. So then I was doing SEO for them. And yeah, basically just kept in the SEO world for over 10 years, working both like in-house um, for e-commerce companies and also um, digital marketing agencies, as well as a consulting company. 
Very cool. Were you, did you continue to have the kind of side projects and, and little, you know, uh, websites and, and do an SEO on your own or, or was it the full focus on, I guess we'll call it like regular employment? No, I'm not. I always have something going on on the side. I just love working on different side projects. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you're doing the same thing. It's in our blood. Absolutely. And and so, Yuri, take us through those next few years and, and then ultimately how you ended up with an, uh, uh, or, get, or working with the team at Onfolio. Sure. So um, at the time I was living in New York, I was like in my early 30s and I was just at a job that I didn't like. It was a very corporate environment and I have a very politically incorrect like personality and sense of humor. So it was not a good match. <laughs> um, and meanwhile, like a lot of my friends had started the digital nomad journey. So I'm just like on Facebook watching all of them travel the world. And I, you know, it was kind of a point in my life where like enough is enough. I'm not getting any younger. So it's now or never. And so I left my job. I got rid of everything I owned and I moved to Bali and I, lived there for a couple months, just, you know, working on my side projects. And eventually I, um, I got like a consulting gig for um, a SaaS M&A company called Shirts with Capital. And so I did some SEO consulting for them. And eventually after that, I moved on to Unfolio. Um, so Dom and I are both members of a group. I don't know if you're familiar with called Dynamite Circle. Oh yeah. I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. So we connected through there and then I just, um, Again, I started there just working, uh, doing some SEO on the sites. And just because I have just, you know, I've worked on so many different websites and industries and I have so much knowledge about um, kind of all the different industries that I've worked on, it, I kind of transitioned to doing a lot of that M&A work. So I would look for, um, you know, the online businesses to buy. So I still do that and I still do some of the digital marketing and SEO strategies as well. Right. So did it get to a point where you'd done enough work with with the team that eventually they just hired you full time or, or are you still kind of in a, in a consulting role? Um, no, I'm, I'm full time there. I started as a consultant, but eventually it was like a full time consultant and eventually moved on to like just a full time. Got it. And so how did you find it? You're moving a little bit from more SEO, digital marketing to the whole M&A acquisition, buying and selling businesses type thing. Did that come naturally? What was that kind of learning curve like? Um, I think some parts of it came naturally, especially like when evaluating businesses from the marketing perspective. But I mean, I don't have a finance degree. You know, I didn't study anything about M&A. So there, there was a learning curve of just learning about different deal structures and acquisitions and due diligence, financial, legal. Uh, so definitely a learning curve there. But you know, I love that part actually a lot more than doing kind of the day-to-day -day SEO work. Right. Very much the same. I, I definitely enjoy, um, definitely enjoy doing some digital marketing stuff, but there's something more, I, I guess, could, would, would you agree with the statement that like SEO is a little bit more science? Like you kind of know what you have to do, you go do it. Obviously it's more complicated than that and, and more time consuming. Whereas, maybe business evaluation and buying is a little bit more of an art. You, you know, you're, you're dealing with maybe random businesses and random industries that, you know, sell or, or you know, sell random products or random services. And so kind of like having to do some behind the scenes stuff or some creative thinking to evaluate them is a little bit more of an art than say SEO, which is more of a science. 
Um, I'd say they're a little, I, I think they're both a little bit art and science because okay. if SEO was all science, you know, we'd know exactly what the algorithm was and we'd be able to follow a step-by-step formula. Um, but there's just so much we kind of have to, you know, use our, our best guess and, you know, j- just even the content, that, you know, just looking at the content, writing the content. Um, there's a lot of it that's sort of like art form. But um, yeah, I think I can get, you know, I think you can get a lot more creative with like with the M&A just because, you know, there is there definitely is that science, like the numbers aspect, right? You have to dive into the the numbers, the analytics, the finances. But then also a lot of it is, you know, you have to evaluate the industry, the trends. Um, so, yeah, there's a there's just a lot of research to kind of to go through for that. For sure. I, I want to get into that a little bit, too, really quickly on the SEO side. How's it changed in the last 10 years? I mean, you, you've been you've been in SEO for a very long time. Would love to hear kind of like h- how it's evolved. And maybe if you have one or two top tips for people that are very focused on SEO right now and, and how they can improve their game. Sure. I mean, I, I feel like SEO is a lot more competitive than it used to be. Um, you know, the biggest trend now is everybody's like writing content with AI so you have like these SEOs who are trying to, you know, publish like super cheap content using AI. And on the other hand, you have Google that's potentially coming up with um, different algorithm updates to be able to t- uh, detect and downrank uh, this AI content. So it's a constant battle. Um, actually, when I started on Folio, we used to uh, only acquire like content and affiliate websites. But over time, um you know, I, I don't really like them anymore for like a long-term perspective. So we actually don't look at those uh, websites anymore. Um, I see Google. You anymore? I don't think Google likes affiliate sites. And over, you know, the last three, four years, they keep coming up with updates that's trying to get rid of them. You know, I think there is still like some space for like content affiliate sites, but they're usually going to be dominated by like, very large media sites, you know, sites like the Wire Cutter by the New York Times and all these other like large media publishers. Dot um, Dash Media is another one, um, and you know, I, I think eventually they're gonna the entire space is just gonna be dominated by these large media publishers. The thing with these content affiliate sites is, um, you know, Google doesn't like them because they they're not gonna make any money from them. If Google ranks e-commerce sites uh, for a specific keyword, right? the e-commerce sites are potentially going to use AdWords and pay for the ads to get to the top. But if it's a bunch of affiliate sites, they can't make the numbers work to be profitable if they're paying for ads. So it's in Google's best interest not to rank these sites, even for e-commerce keywords. So it's actually one of the trends you'll see over time. If you used to type in like, you know, um, like best MacBook Pro or something, it was just a bunch of content affiliate sites recommending laptops. Now you'll see the listings directly from e-commerce sites, from Amazon, from Best Buy, for what used to be traditionally affiliate keywords. Uh, Google's now ranking e-commerce sites there. Right. Interesting. So what would you recommend then for someone who maybe they have an e-commerce website or just kind of like a a blog, like a, a standard blog? What are some SEO tips you'd give to them? Um, I mean, especially with the, uh, the last like one or two updates, if you're doing like a blog and you're reviewing products, right? Google wants to see like original content, original images. So, you know, buy, buy the product, take pictures of it, write about your experience. And then if you can't afford to just, you know, return it back to the store. Um, but right now it's all about like, you know, high quality content, authenticity, uh, real pictures. They want a persona behind it. So, you know, portray yourself as an expert or work with an expert to do uh, 
like the reviews, or like a lot of people will just turn their um, their blogs into e-commerce websites, right? So that's just another avenue. You can have kind of the, the blog side and then the e-commerce side. Right. What if you're not doing any affiliate stuff? What it's a what if it's just pure like blogging content? Uh, I don't know about anything. Uh, in terms of trying to get you know to rank well on Google, any specific tips for bloggers out there? Um, it's going to be just. I mean, it's going to come down to two two main things. It's going to be um, the quality and the amount of the content you have, and the domain authority, right? Um, that's why you see a lot of uh, these SEOs buying expired domains for five, ten thousand dollars because it already comes with all this history and domain authority, and then they start publishing content. I mean, I've seen sites go from zero to seven figure in valuation with somebody buying an expired domain name and you know spending twenty, thirty thousand dollars on content to get it going. Jeez. Okay. Good. Good to know. <laughs> let's let's shift focus a little bit, Yuri, to the the M and A stuff. I, I find it really interesting because. Now more than ever with, you know, older generation moving on and so much activity online too, it seems like a great opportunity to be buying and selling businesses in general. Uh, is what you guys are focused on and on fully, is, is it specifically online businesses and or what have you seen in the last few years? Is activity picking up? I mean, now I see all these websites now too to help buy and sell. Obviously, like sites like Flippa have been around for a while, but more and more of them popping up. Is is this kind of exploding, or what? What are you seeing on the ground? Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's huge now. It's definitely exploding. Um, we don't do any brick and mortar, right? So we're focused completely on online, and that's where experience is. So I couldn't even speak to the brick and mortar. But what's happening is like. A lot of these uh, family investors, institutional investors, they're realizing that the returns for online businesses are so much higher than real estate. Um, there is like, you know, there is the risk component because you don't have anything, you know, backed by real estate, but the returns are so much higher in online businesses and more and more people are getting into that space. So that's why you see like, you know, there's a lot more market marketplaces coming up, uh, brokers, M&A advisors, it's completely exploding. Um, there's the one caveat where, like, I'd say in the last couple of months, the market has kind of collapsed. <laughs> and that's definitely caused, like, because multiples have been going up for the last, like, four or five years. So I'd say now in the last couple of months, multiples, um, I see them going down a little bit. There's a little bit less activity in M&A. But, you know, that's only temporary. It's, it's going to recover soon. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, it's the highest it's ever been. And it's it's going to keep growing. Right. So would you say it's a great opportunity then to get started? I mean, if, if you're if, if maybe that's not ideal if you're trying to sell, but if you're trying to maybe buy your first online business is now a great time. Yeah, I think so. I don't think multiples are going to go down um, much more. And even now, it's not like, you know, they're they're still kind of on the higher end of what they've been the last couple of years. So, yeah, I think now is a great time because if you wait another year or two, they're just they're going to keep increasing. So yeah, absolutely. Now's kind of the best time to jump into it. Got it. So let's say we have someone who's, I don't know, they're working a nine to five. They love the idea of online businesses. They love what we're saying about, you know, being able to buy a business as opposed to starting from square one is a great way, right? To jumpstart, especially if you have some money saved. What do you recommend to people who are brand new? They're, they're interested in the idea. They know the potential of online businesses. They've never bought one before. Maybe they've never even started their own business. What advice would you give to them? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it depends sort of on their risk tolerance and kind of their experience. But especially if somebody wants to start low without a lot of experience, you know, I think sites like Flippa are a great way to get started because you can pick something up for, you know, low, mid five figures, ten, twenty thousand dollars and just grow it. Right. You you know, if you're a first time buyer with no experience, you don't want to buy something for five hundred thousand dollars and, you know, just run, run it into the ground. <clears throat> And actually, that's what a lot of people do. They're called like website flippers, right? So they'll buy a site from anywhere from $1,000 to $30,000, $40,000. They'll increase the revenue through a number of different ways. And then they'll flip it for, you know, two, three, four X. And then they'll just keep doing that. And eventually they can start buying bigger and bigger businesses. Um, but yeah, if it's your first one without a lot of experience, I suggest something small. For sure. That makes sense. Any particular types of online businesses that you would recommend, especially for a, a beginner? Um, I mean, for a beginner, the good ones are probably like kind of the content affiliate sites because they're easier to run. At the same time, it's not one I'd recommend just because I don't like that space. Um, but I'd say another good one might be like a, a service-based business, right? So think of somebody like a, a website offering like logo design services or like web design um, a lot of times those services are like outsourced as well. So I don't know if you've heard the term drop shipping for like reselling physical products. Mm -hmm. There's something called like drop servicing, which is similar, except instead of physical products, it's actual services, right? So somebody might go on, on Fiverr and they might find a, a service like a logo design for somebody charging $20 and they'll build a, a website and business around it and resell it for 50 so uh, it, it makes it easier to run because you're not having to do the fulfillment yourself. Or the other thing, too, that I've thought about is a website to promote services that you might already do yourself, right? So maybe maybe you are a logo designer yourself for your day job, mm -hmm. and you can buy a website that's already getting all this traffic for something that you could do anyways. Um, do you see that happening a lot? Yeah, as, as long as you don't have a non-compete with the company you're working for, right? <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, and a lot of times that's actually how people transition, like from, um, you know, having a, like a nine to five job, they start freelancing on the side. And then, you know, the freelance job makes more than their full-time job. And then eventually that freelance one becomes their main business. Right. Absolutely. So let's talk about somebody decides they want to buy some type of, of website. Maybe they've narrowed down a couple that look interesting. How do you recommend that they go about evaluating different websites, finding the valuations, making sure they're legit to begin with, right? I'm sure you've heard some horror stories about, uh, I don't know, scammers, whatever you want to call them. But any tips and advice on how to approach evaluating these different types of businesses and websites? I'd say if you don't have experience, you want some kind of like buy side M&A advisor or someone on your side to help you. Right. Because there's a lot of things to look out for. And if you're not experienced in the industry and in M&A, it's very easy to miss. Um, you know, the type of help you're going to want is going to vary depending on the business you're buying. Right. If you're buying a SaaS business, you're going to want a developer to look at the code. If you're, it's a content business, you want like an editor to review the, the quality of the content, someone to look at the analytics, the finances. Um, you know, I've had like. We, we had a transaction gone wrong because of like one question I forgot to ask. And uh, I asked if the images like on the website were licensed and he said, yes. 
It turns out they were bought illegally from like a Vietnamese stock photo site and nothing on the site was actually licensed, right? So yeah, you just have to ask a lot of questions and, you know, do a lot of due diligence before, you know, you kind of sign everything. Got it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And so, okay, so Yuri, let, let's let's go through like to the next step. So maybe they find the right help. They, they pick out, you know, a particular website that looks really interesting. They end up purchasing it. I, I guess part of this answer will depend on the type of business that's bought. But let's say it's kind of like a pretty standard content type website. What are some common strategies that you see or that you guys do to immediately start increasing the value of that online business. The other thing I'd be interested to hear to hear Yuri is what types of businesses are you largely buying? Is it more SaaS software community would be interested to hear more about that? Sure. Uh, so what we look at now is digital products, um, productized services, which are basically services that have like a specific price. So somebody can, you know, easily check out rather than get on the phone with like a salesperson. Um, courses, agencies, um, SaaS is interesting because SaaS is priced for the most part. There are exceptions, but SaaS businesses are priced at multiples of annual recurring revenue, whereas almost all other businesses are priced at, uh, EBITDA, right? And so when we buy businesses, we, we buy based on EBITDA. So for us, it, it makes SaaS for the most part unaffordable. Um, but yeah, we, we like like services, courses, digital products. Mm. Um, as far as increasing revenue after you buy a business, right? One way is if there are any like expenses that are unnecessary, that's one way, right? You just want to cut down expenses that don't need to be there. Um, but the other way is, you know, our experience is we have like a strong SEO team. So we would, you know, we would focus on content, um, you know, doing a technical audit on the site, making sure everything is okay. Um, and then we would just start producing more content. If the website doesn't have an email list, right, we'll start, you know, we'll create like a, an opt-in form, collect, start collecting emails, and then we can do email marketing as well. Um, another way is a lot of times you'll see like a content site for sale and they only have Google AdSense on there. So that's where like they're making the revenue is display ads. But the thing is Google AdSense is like the lowest paying display ad publisher there is, right? So if you switch to like, um, you know, uh, MediaVine or AdThrive um, or Ezoic, that's instantly going to increase the revenue that the site makes. Mm. Uh, you can start signing up for affiliate offers as well, depending on the site. So then you can start making affiliate income in addition to the display ads. Right. Very cool. So so I guess it's kind of like a combo or all of those, depending on the, the situation of the website. Can we spend a few minutes on email marketing? I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big fan. I think it's probably underutilized by most or, or a lot of websites out there. What's your go-to strategy for email marketing? Do you guys throw up kind of like a lead capture? And, and then what do you do with the emails once you have subscribers? Yeah, I mean, you can have like an automated, um, like once somebody subscribes, they have just like a, a sequence of a couple emails, you know, informational, and then you might mix in some of uh, some affiliate ones or some from your like if you're selling a product as well. I mean, we have one uh, one business uh, called MightyDeals.com that we manage, and um, they you know the entire business is basically relying on email marketing. Um, it has a giant list, and we basically just promote uh, the, the offers from the website to the email list. But yeah, I think it's going to vary depending on the kind of business you buy. 
Um, you definitely want some educational content in there, right? You don't want to be overly promotional, just, you know, spam them trying to sell a product. Um, yeah, you kind of have to, you know, find the sweet spot. You have to test different days. Some days the open rates are going to be higher than other days. And you'll always see these studies that say like, oh, Monday's the best day or Friday's the worst day. But it's really going to just depend on your industry. There's no one size fits all for, for email marketing. Got it. Any tips for collecting emails? Yeah, give something that, you know, is worth for a subscriber to give away their email address for, right? People are tired of getting like spam emails and they're afraid of like privacy concerns. So it has to be something really worth their while. Um, it could be like, you know, a checklist, a guide, um, an ebook, um, like a, a mini, like a mini course dripped over the course of a week is a good one. So yeah, just, um, you know, con content marketing materials basically. Right. Yep. Makes sense. Any really fun or weird deals that you've done recently or, or over the, the course of your career, like any really wonky deals or weird websites that maybe most of us had never heard of? Um, I can tell you about like some that like we passed on. Um, I can't give out like specific um, like names, but there was one, I think it, they're called like SARS. It's like a protein. I think it's some kind of protein supplement that you take, but it's illegal in a lot of the states in the US, right? right? Um, because it's kind of like, um, like a growth, growth hormone or something, like steroids basically. And so, you know, you don't wanna buy a site like that because you just can't advertise or market it in a lot of places. Um, there was one, if you know, um, do you know payday loans? The company or, or just the, the term in general? The, the term, yeah. the, there are companies that give loans and uh, you have to use your car for collateral. Yeah. It's basically like geared towards like uh, the lower income individuals. And most of the time they end up like losing their car because the interest rates are so high. And so I've seen a business like that for sale. But like, for example, Google AdWords and a couple other companies release policies that says you're not allowed to advertise those kind of services on your on Google and Facebook anymore. So if you were to buy that website, you you know you kind of be screwed. You can't really advertise it. it it's banned or has restrictions in a lot of the states in the U.S. Right. Um, and yeah, so so one thing is when you're when you're looking for these you know businesses, whether you're on a marketplace or broker, right? It's not their job to protect the buyer, right? It's their job to get the most amount of money for their seller, and that's why I said you kind of want like an advisor on the buy side because they don't tell you if the website is illegal if it violates the terms. So I've seen that a lot where websites are listed for sale and they violate the terms of Amazon or Google or Facebook, whatever it is. So if you're not well-versed in that industry, you won't really know. And you might buy a website and then, you know, within a week or two, it just gets shut down. Right. Yeah. Obviously a pretty important factor. So working with someone Yuri, like, like yourself on the buy side, how does that work? Is it uh, like, is there a, an upfront fee? Is it a commission fee? How does that work? Uh, so we actually, we don't offer any kind of, we're not like mm -hmm. um, an advisory company. We're, we're basically a holding company. So we just acquire and run online businesses. So we don't have anything to, to sell or, you know, I'm happy to share information. So I speak on podcasts and conferences. Um, you know, I'm happy to help both buyers and sellers um, if they reach out to me but it's not like a service that we offer. Got it. So what would that typically look like if somebody was, you know, looking to work with someone? Is it kind of like real estate where it's a mostly commission or 
what have you seen? Um, yeah, there might there might be either like a small commission, like what you know, one one percent or something um, on the buy side. It might be a flat fee. Um, we did used to offer a service where we would help investors buy online businesses, right? So we would charge um, half half upfront um, when we would find them a business, and then the other half after they successfully acquired it. Got it. Why did why did you guys stop that? Is it just more more profitable to do it yourselves? Um, yeah, I, I I like the model better of like whether you call it like an aggregator or a holding company rather than you know um, working with investors and like so what the way we used to run is we would help investors acquire the businesses and then we would charge them a management a management fee and we would manage the business for them. Um, but over time, we've kind of transitioned where we just have become a holding company. Right. And so I, I guess you were kind of, in a sense, doing doing a lot of those motions anyways, but had someone else as the owner. So you could you just kind of get rid of them as the owner and, and, and be the owner yourself. So maybe it's like less of a headache because you're not doing client work anymore kind of thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is... Like if you're if you're working with investors, right? You don't have to invest in the businesses, right? So if you don't have you know seven, seven figures to buy a business, that's not a problem because you're just helping somebody else buy. As a mm -hmm. holding company, you need you know you need a source of uh, income, whether that's investment or savings, whatever it is, to actually go and buy the businesses. So right. you know you can always start as one, like on the um, kind of on the to help the investors. And then eventually, if you you know you want to change the model and you have the money, you can buy them yourself. Right, makes sense. Can you talk a little bit about why it is that you focus more on digital products, courses? I mean, obviously they're much more scalable, I guess. But are, are there also any other reasons why you guys focus on those types of online businesses? Um, well, like for example, like with e-commerce businesses, right? Um, there's always a cash flow issue because the more you grow, the more you have to reinvest back into inventory and marketing. So a lot of e-commerce owners, the only time they actually see like a big payday is when they end up selling their business after a couple of years. Um, we like more bit like we like businesses that have like better cash flow. So with digital products, right, you don't have to invest into inventory. You can create it once and you just have to do the marketing. Same thing with courses as well. Services is similar. You know, so like I think our, you know, our strong spot is the marketing. And with these businesses, we can just focus on the marketing. We don't have to worry about the inventory and fulfillment. Got it. Makes sense. Other than SEO and email marketing, is there other stuff you guys are doing? Are you doing a lot of social media content like that form of marketing paid ads? Or, yeah, I'd be curious to hear kind of like the broad scope of all the marketing activities. Yeah, so we do uh, we do like Facebook paid Facebook ads, uh, Instagram, um, and um, tried. We don't we don't do TikTok a lot. I'd say uh, and AdWords as well. So I'd say AdWords and like Facebook, Instagram would be our main channels. And so we have um, you know we have some some people in house that handle it, and then we also work with uh, with some agencies and freelancers as well. Got it. Why not TikTok? Um, I, it's just the audience, right? So we have one, like one business that's, uh, geared towards a much older audience. So not really suitable for TikTok. Right. And are, are you doing kind of like organic social media, like content creation or, or is it mostly paid? 
We do, we do, we do some organic. Uh, it kind of depends on the business, but yeah, we definitely do. Like, we'll post on Instagram and Facebook and do like stories and reels. Right. Any any tips or advice for that? I mean, it, it is that a big part of the plan, or is that more just kind of going through the motions? Uh, right now, it's more like going through the motions, but we have some where we we plan on going uh, more heavily on that, just because I think there's a lot of opportunity on the social side. And I mean, ads are getting more expensive, right? You have to get right. creative. Um, and also, you know, especially if you're like in e-commerce, there's so many different touch points that uh, a customer is going to require before they make a purchase, right? So they might see your website in the first time, then you retarget them with an ad, you get them on your email list, you send them an email, maybe then they'll see the TikTok and then make make a purchase. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, um, like content repurposing is, is a good strategy for that. You can take one piece of content and kind of transform it into uh, different mediums and then post it there. Got it. Yeah, this is very helpful. So Yuri, kind of coming to the last few questions, like what do you think are the best opportunities out there right now for people who are looking to break into maybe just entrepreneurship in general? Like what would you tell someone who maybe is working a nine to five, they're not happy, they they know there's some opportunity. Do you have like one or two tips that you would give them just to kind of get the get the ball rolling? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, a lot of people are selling side projects and there's a lot of these marketplaces where you can buy a side project. Uh, one is like side projectors, um, tiny acquisitions, micro acquire has some, although they're going kind of upstream now. Um, so, you know, I think you could save a little bit of time and money by just buying somebody else's side project, um, especially if somebody is busy with their own nine to five. Uh, so that would be a good way to start. Um, freelancing, believe it or not, is also a great way for somebody to, you know, try to kind of sell their services without spending a lot of money getting started. Um, and then making, eventually making the transition from like side project into like a freelancer and then into solopreneurship. Um, but yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunities. There's also something in the U.S. Um, it's U.S. specific. We have our SBA loans where you can buy like a, a business for ten to twenty percent down. So this gives somebody the ability to buy like a million dollar business, only investing, you know, for example, a hundred thousand dollars, and the rest is a loan um, from like a in, from a bank, but it's backed by the U.S. government in case of a default. So the, the the terms there are pretty reasonable, right? And you can use the revenue from the business to pay back the loan and still you have money left over for growing the business and then for profit as well. Um, but I'd probably recommend that for somebody who has some experience already. Right, makes sense. Any common mistakes you see, especially maybe earlier on? I don't know how much you, you talk to people kind of like earlier on in the process, but just seeing all the deals that you do, uh, you know, deals that go through, deals that don't go through, any common mistakes that you think people should try to avoid in, in the kind of buying and selling space? Yeah, I think one thing, if you're buying something, don't immediately go and start changing, you know, changing the website, changing things around, like, Give it time, make sure you understand it and do things slowly. Cause I've seen people like buy a business and then they make some drastic changes and then it kind of, you know, they'll see a sudden decline. So, so that's always risky. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think due diligence is a, is like the big one, right? That's kind of one where if you miss something, it, it might come back to bite you. Got it. 
Yuri, thanks so much for coming on and, and sharing all this helpful info. You, you mentioned a few of those websites as well. Any other la uh, last helpful resources you would recommend? Maybe it's books, maybe it's courses, maybe it's bloggers or, or influencers. You know, I know how much we love that word, but, you know, people to follow where they could learn more about this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you, um, there's a couple of great, like a lot of these um, brokers have great uh, blogs and content. So like Empire Flippers, FE International, Quiet Light Brokerage, they all have some great content. Um, there's some there's some newsletters uh, on the space. Um, there's there's something called Dudilio, which is like a, a, so sort of a marketplace of uh, due diligence experts. So that's actually mm -hmm. a place if you're buying a business and you need some help, you can go there to find somebody to do various parts of the due diligence on like finance and legal. And so the owner of that also has like a M&A newsletter he sends out once a week. Very cool. Awesome. Yuri, thanks again for coming on the show. If anybody wants to get in touch with you or learn more about you or the company, where do you recommend that they go? Um, yeah, they can go to our website. So it's on folio.com, O-N-F-O-L-I-O. -O. Uh, my email is Yuri, Y-U-R-Y at unfolio.com. Or if they just, you know, Google my name, I'm on LinkedIn. So feel free to add me. Awesome. We will include links to those in the description below. Yuri, thanks again for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.